Hey, New Life family, before we jump into our weekend service, I wanted just to pause for a moment because uh, in our area, in our region, we have been facing these tremendous fires uh, and we have communities that are being evacuated, people who are losing homes, people who have lost their lives. We have first responders and CAL FIRE and so many others, some of our firefighters right here in our own community who are serving in areas and hot spots across the state. And so before we jump into everything else, I just wanted to take a moment uh, for us to pray for all that is going on around us. So would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we thank you so much that uh, none of this is taking you by surprise and that you are fully aware of what's happening right here in our own region, in the Central Valley. Uh, Lord, we do pray for those uh, families who have lost loved ones. We pray for people who are losing homes and businesses. We pray for communities and neighborhoods that are being evacuated because of these horrific fires. And Father, I just pray that you would surround these people. I pray, Lord, that there would be care and comfort. We thank you for those in our own church family who are, who are reaching out and providing, uh, Lord, just care and love and grace. And Father, we just pray for your protection over these. Lord, for our, our firefighters and responders in these areas, we just pray for your protection over them. We pray that you'd keep them safe. And Lord, we pray that, uh, that you would help them get these fires under control. Lord, we pray for, for rain and favorable weather conditions that would help diminish the destructive power of these fires. Thank you, Lord, that you've got us during even our toughest times. And pray, Lord, that, that again, you would be at work in each and every community, uh, each and every situation that you, God, would just be forefront in all of this. So we thank you, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope that you'll continue to pray for all that's going on. Pray again for firefighters, communities, first responders. Uh, it's a lot to face in all of the wave of issues and wave of the pandemics that we have been wrestling through. So thanks for your prayers. Let's keep praying as a church family together. And now let's worship. Welcome to New Life. My name is Jana. I'm one of the worship leaders here. And we just encourage you that you just stop whatever you're doing and that you join with us in worship because we are a community of believers and that when we come together and we worship together, it just is a beautiful thing and it brings so much glory and honor to our Savior. So join with us as we sing.
God so loved the world.
same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Oh, yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Yes, I will. count on one thing the same God that never fails will not fail me now you won't fail me now in the waiting the same God who's never late is working all things out you're working all things out yes I will lift you high See? 
sing that out with us again.
Will you pray with me? Father God, I adore you. I worship you. And Father, may this time of praise through song just bring glory to your name, may be pleasing in your ear. And Lord, it's my prayer, Lord, that your church will just draw closer to you. Even though that we can't meet physically together, Lord, that we will just join, join our hearts, join our praise and worship of your name. Lord, as we dive in deeper to your word, Lord, I just pray that it will just penetrate our hearts. Lord, that whatever it is that you want us to learn today, Lord, that we'll be open to that, that we'll be receptive to those words, Lord, and just help us to love you more today. In your precious, most holy name, amen. Thank you for worshiping with us. I hope that during that time that you were just able just to focus on him. And I just want you to know this weekend that you are so loved by the creator of the universe. You are so loved. And I just encourage you to now grab your Bible, grab a notebook and a pen, and just get ready to dive into his word. Hey, I want to thank Jana and the worship team for leading us today in just leaning in close to God. You know, that's what worship is really all about. It's not just singing songs. It's not just about melodies and harmonies and chords. As great as all those things are, and as much as God uses those to kind of draw us in, it's really where our hearts are at that matter most. You know, that last song actually comes straight from the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And there's a line in there that says, you are my everything and I will adore you. And I wonder in the midst of all that has been going on in our culture and our world, if that's something that we can honestly look to God and say, you are my everything. Because you know, for many of us, all the things we've been counting on, all the things that we've been holding on to, all the things we've been looking to as a foundation, as, uh, as strength, as even our security and support, all these things get stripped away. And the one we come back to is the one who's been there all along, the one who was and is and is to come. So thanks for joining us in worship today. Hey, as we get started today, I want you to get your phone out. It's one of the things we do each week, just give you a chance to text someone. Uh, just a word of encouragement to let them know that you're praying for them, that you're thinking about them. Believe me, it makes a huge difference. God uses each one of us in that to, to bring encouragement and life and his presence. So go ahead and text someone. Uh, there's also, if you go to our website, there's resources available. You'll see those on the screen right here. And you can download note sheets and all those different things. This is also the opportunity they want to give you to give back to the Lord. Again, one more step in our worship. Uh, to say thank you, God, for all that you have done and all that you continue to do. And as we sang in that song, you are my everything. And in response to him being that, uh, we open our hands and we respond back to him in generosity and in faith. This is not about a church. This is not about a ministry. This is about giving back to God. And so you can do that through our app. You can do that online. You'll see the information right there. You can also mail it. And however you choose to give is not what's important. The fact that we get the chance to respond back to God is what matters so much. Well, I want to remind you once again about the three lanes here at New Life. We've been talking about these for months now, and we've used the imagery of like a freeway that has multiple lanes all going the same direction, uh, but each has nuances to it. And we have talked about this season for us 
uh, living in one of three lanes. We have New Life at Home, which is what many of you are doing right now. You're at home with your family. Maybe you're by yourself. Maybe you're on your phone, whatever it might be. But you're joining in, and you are the church. You're a part of what's going on here and also throughout our world, but you are a part of the church. You just happen to be doing it at home during this season. For some of you, you're ready to take kind of uh, another step into a different lane and have new life with friends. This is where you gather with some others, uh, maybe some of those in your bubble, in your circle, and you come together, maybe share a meal together and you watch the service together and maybe you, you talk about it and we have some discussion questions, but you are like that New Testament Acts 2 church where you are gathering home to home and you are leaning in close to Christ and you are the church. And for some of you, you have moved into that third lane, which uh, currently we have on Saturday nights. It's a chance to be New Life Live, where we gather together in person outside, and we worship together, and we share together. And you are the church as well. All of us in these different places, but one church together. And I want to encourage you to maybe share this with some people in your life, invite them to come. If you're new life at home or you're new life with friends, uh, to come and join together with you as, as we see God do some great things. I also want to encourage you to follow us on your email or on social media because there are changes that are coming. We're beginning to open up our outside services and, and outside ministry to other uh, avenues of ministry in our church. So Monday nights, Celebrate Recovery meets outside on our grass. And uh, if you've been part of Celebrate Recovery and haven't come to that, I wanna encourage you to take that step on Monday nights and be a part of that. But we have more coming, so stay tuned for what's gonna be kind of unveiled in these coming weeks. So as we jump in, uh, I want you just to bow your heads with me and let's pray. Jesus, we invite you into this moment wherever we are, at home, in the living room, in our car, uh, at, at the, you know, going for a walk and, and listening to this or watching it on our phones, wherever we may be, Lord, we invite you into this moment. And we pray, Lord, that today you would be our teacher, not me. Pray that you would guide us, that you would direct us, that you would lead us close to your heart. We give this all to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we started a new series last week called Refocus, and our key verse is this, and it's from Philippians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul wrote these words. He said, friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us. He's inviting us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back. And of course, the Kind of the, the key part of that verse is, is Paul saying, I've got my eye on this goal where God is inviting me closer to Jesus. Now we've used a different term for that, but to refocus where we sometimes get all distracted and out there, he invites us to refocus on Jesus. And so we're going to dive into that again this weekend. Hey, did you ever uh, growing up have something that you truly believed I mean, kind of to the core of your being, you believe something so strongly only to find out later that it wasn't quite what you thought. Like maybe you were sad year after year realizing that this same group of people was stuck on Gilligan's Island until you realized, hold on, it's a show. 
Or, or maybe you actually believed that teachers lived at the school and you were shocked when you saw them at the grocery store, like, what are you doing here? What are you doing off the school grounds? Because you just thought all of their life was in that classroom. Or maybe there's something you truly believed about holiday characters. And I'm not going to go any further down that road since I don't know who's watching this, but I, but I think you know what I mean. But what about more serious issues in your life where you believe something, but there was a struggle, like, like your faith. Have you ever had your faith shaken? Have you ever had a crisis of belief? Have you ever wondered about what you believe and what you know to be true? Have there ever been moments of doubt and struggle? Sometimes our culture, sometimes our friends, our media, maybe a boyfriend or girlfriend or a spouse, maybe a teacher or a professor, or sometimes even circumstances and challenges can cause us to doubt and waver in our faith. Well, if you've ever been there, and my guess is, whether you're willing to admit it or not, you, you have been. I have too. See, we're not alone in this. I think Virtually every single person has journeyed through some of these challenging seasons of, of trying, to, trying to balance and figure all this out. So this weekend, we're going to dive into a refocus uh, that a guy named Timothy wrestled with in, uh, in a passage in 1 Timothy chapter 6, actually named after him. He didn't write it. It was actually a letter to him written by the Apostle Paul as Timothy was facing some challenges to his own faith, but also to his leadership in this church uh, that he was offering. And he was walking through some difficult things. Now, to get you up to speed, last weekend, as we kicked off this series, we, we, we kind of caught up with where we are in our nation right now, not specifically talking about political, social, or economic crises that we're facing, but the fact of where we are today, physically, emotionally, mentally, and even spiritually, is not where we thought we'd be, right? We're facing all these things, and we just didn't see those on the horizon, all of us, I know, made plans for 2020, right? Maybe at your workplace, you had already put in for your vacation days in 2020. If you were a student, you were probably looking at what was coming towards the end of the school year. If you were a senior, man, I'm sorry. That <laughs> was a tough transition. Graduation and prom and all those things just kind of went out the window. All these plans that we had, and in March, they just kind of all all dissipated, and it was hard. And last week, we also kind of dove into this whole idea of a refocus, and it actually has two definitions, to focus again, or it means to change emphasis or direction. And last week, we talked about the prodigal son and the father and how this son was a good example of that second definition of changing the direction of your life. And he had to refocus his heart, refocus his thinking back to his father so that he could actually see and understand truth so that he could leave a life that was focused on destruction and he could ultimately come home. But as we jump into this week, we're going to be looking more at that first definition, to focus again. 
And here's the key question. Now, I want you to think about this. Have the distractions in our culture or in the circle of friends and influences in your life caused you to take your focus off Jesus? Have the circumstances and situations that you find yourself in, have those caused you to move your eyes to those things rather than Jesus? To look away from what you know to be good and what you know to be true in the deepest part of your heart and soul. And I know it's challenged sometimes, but you believe it deeply. And instead, you've begun to waver and doubt. Well, that's what happens in this passage that we're going to read today. The Apostle Paul had to do some correction and realignment and encouragement to Timothy and this church in the city of Ephesus that, that Timothy was leading. See, what happened was, is that in the culture of that day, they were allowing the teachings and the philosophies of the day to influence the teachings of Jesus that Paul had brought. And these new ideas and these, these philosophies that were filtering in were so contrary to truth. And Paul, again, needed to give this challenge and warning and encouragement because the church was incorporating and weaving this false teaching into the core of their Christ-centered faith. And so many were beginning to fall for it and change and, and to shift their beliefs. So Paul sends this young man, Timothy, to go and to lead and to pastor this gathering, this, this church, this collection of, of Christ followers there. And when he arrives, Paul sends him this letter and it was a refocus letter. It was a stay strong letter. It was a keep your eyes on the prize kind of letter. And I believe, I truly believe, that it's a letter that, that God is sending to all of us today. This is not some, some, some ancient writing that, that is just for a church that existed 2,000 years ago, but it's for the church of today. It's for you and it's for me. Think about it in these terms. 2,000 years ago, the enemy, our enemy Satan, was using culture to twist and change the teachings of Jesus to confuse people and to draw them away from the truth of God. And he is still doing the same thing today. Sowing doubt, sowing discouragement, sowing confusion. So over the next few minutes, we're going to dissect a little bit of this letter to Timothy. And I want you to turn there to 1 Timothy chapter 6. But as we dissect this, I, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to take Timothy out of the story. And you're going, well, wait, isn't it to Timothy? Yes. But I'm going to ask you to personalize it. I'm going to ask you to insert yourself. Paul wrote this letter to Timothy to stay focused on the truth and to not be swayed by everything that was going on around him. And I want us to take that to heart too, that we wouldn't be swayed by the things around us. It's kind of like Paul was snapping his fingers in front of Timothy saying, Timothy, hey, stay focused. Don't listen to all these things out here. Don't be distracted by that. But I want you to keep your eyes on Jesus. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, I'm going to start at verse 11, and I want you just to follow along with me. He writes this, But you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. 
and hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. And I charge you before God who gives life to all and before Christ Jesus who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate that you obey this command without wavering, without swerving around and getting off track. He says, do it without wavering. Then no one can find fault with you from now until our Lord Jesus comes again. Now, when we read this first verse, verse 11, uh, again, I want you to personalize it. I want you to take out the words Timothy and man, and I want you to insert your own name into that. So for me, it will be, but you, Dave, are a man of God. But you, Dave, are a man of God. And some of you sitting there at home listening, it's like, put your own name. But, but you, Steve, are a man of God. But you, Denise, are a woman of God. It takes on a whole new meaning when we personalize Scripture, doesn't it? I think we should do that all the time. Because God's Word is powerful and active. The Bible even tells us that. And it is for us right here, right now. So as we go through this, let it be, let it be the challenge to you, to your faith, to, to maybe your struggle right now that you would be strengthened and emboldened and encouraged. Now inside verses 11 and 12, at the end of this very personal letter are some things that Paul is really driving home. And so I wanna give you three things and I want you to write these down as we dive in. The first is this, run from destructive influences. It's the first thing that he tells Timothy in this passage. Now, he's been leading up to that, sharing some things about what's going on really in their culture, some of the things that they've been experiencing. And then his first challenge, look at verse 11 again. He says, but you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all these evil things. I'll personalize it, but you, Dave, are a man of God, so run. I love how he gives some urgency to it. He doesn't just say walk or stroll or, or try to stand against it. He says, run away from these things that are destructive to your own heart. And Paul's reminding each one of us of our place in the family of God, that we're a man of God, that we're a woman of God, warning us not to listen to all the chaos and all the noise around us that might influence or shift our focus away from the truth of who Jesus really is. And if that's been happening to you over these past months because of the turmoil all around us, because of what we see on the news, of what we experience in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our finances, and so many things, all this is going on. I want to tell you this, God is inviting you and urging you. He's calling you out by name. He's reminding you of whose you are and what your identity is. And he's saying, would you refocus your attention back on me? He wants you to be reminded that he is love and that he is just and that he's compassionate and merciful and that he's grace-filled and that he's forgiving. In fact, the paragraph right above this, if you were to look in 1 Timothy 6, Paul describes three things that he's urging Timothy to flee from, to run from. He says, run from people who are arrogant and think that they know it all. I'm paraphrasing here. People who love to argue. And he said, and run from anyone who basically has a hunger for nothing but material gain. He tells Timothy that these people have a tendency 
to distract us and to entice us to chase after things that ultimately don't matter very much. Ever since the New Testament church began 2,000 years ago, there have always been two narratives regarding faith. False faith and true faith. False wisdom and true wisdom. Pastor Matt Chandler uh, wrote a devotion this this past week, and and I want to just read it to you. He, He wrote this. He said, the wisdom of culture is rooted in selfishness. While culture disciples us, we probably don't think of it that way, but while culture disciples us or teaches us to behave, to believe that our determination, our truth, and our happiness are the most important priorities in life, these ideas run contrary to God's word. All people, every single person was meant to find their ultimate purpose and their delight in God. True wisdom means that we embrace God's vision of how culture works, not culture's vision for how God works. He goes on to say this, there are two false beliefs that drive all of our destructive behavior. Now this isn't on your sheet, but I want you, I want you to begin to, to just kind of process this. Two false beliefs that drive all of our destructive behavior. The first is this, is that my life is all about me. That my happiness matters most and I am utmost in my own affections. The second false belief is this, is that, that there is no absolute objective standard by which I must live. That we simply have the right to our own preferences and our own opinion about whatever will make me happy, that my truth is ultimate truth and that I can simply do whatever I want. And those two false beliefs, my life is all about me and there is no absolute measure of truth and what's right. Those drive so much in our culture. Those drive our destructive behavior. And if you let that sink in, sink in for a moment, you realize that seven billion people live on this planet and we can't all be right. Seven billion, billion people can't just do whatever feels good or whatever makes us happy. We can't all be at the center of the universe. We can't, we can't all be driving that bus. And the truth is when we, when we all step back for a moment, I think we realize that that is true at this deepest part of us. But it's an enticing narrative that just says, forget everyone else, it's all about me. And we love that lie because it makes us feel good. And it, it kind of relieves us from having to look at our own reality, to look at our own insecurities, to look at our own sin, to just simply do whatever makes us happy. And We kind of have this you do you thing in our culture. You do you because there are no absolutes to guide or to pattern your life. And the the Apostle Paul is saying to Timothy and he's saying to us, hey, that's not truth. That's not truth. That'll ultimately lead you to destruction. Even Jesus himself said, hey, we're not always going to be happy. Our goal as believers is to pursue Christ above everything, not our happiness. Now look what Jesus said to his disciples after he taught them how to pray. In Matthew 6, he said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. In other words, live rightly and he will give you everything you need. Now he didn't say to seek happiness first. He didn't say 
you know, say to seek my need to be right first. He didn't say to seek the best career, the biggest house, or the newest gadgets. None of those things are inherently wrong. I want to tell you that. Except when they become our pursuit and our goal. When they become our focus, we've missed it. Jesus said to seek his kingdom, to seek him above all else. And then he says this, and then he will give you all that you need. We're often seeking the other things out here. And he says, but if you will seek me, those things will become the consequences. Those things become the fruit of you pursuing me. Culture keeps saying, hey, seek your way above all else. Jesus tells us something different. And the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy then, just like he's telling us today, to run away from those temptations, to run away from those philosophies, to run away from those ideologies, to flee those vocus and to refocus on the truth. And you may sit here today going, but Dave, sometimes being a follower of Jesus is hard. Being a person of peace and grace isn't easy, especially in this crazy year. I thought being a believer meant an easier journey. Here's the truth. Jesus offered a better way, the best way, a way of truth, a way of life to the fullest. But he never said it would be easier. He said this in John 16, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Write this down for number two. Pursue God's truth above all else. So look at the second part of verse 11. He says, pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. So the first part of the verse, Paul is telling us what to get away from, what to run from and flee from. And now he's telling us what to run towards, what to pursue. He says, flee those things and follow this, righteousness, a godly life, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Now, when you look at that list, it should look kind of familiar to you. Because a few months ago, we did an entire series based on the fruit of the Spirit, right? From Galatians. Nine different ingredients or attributes that make up one fruit. And some of those are mentioned right here in Paul's charge to us as to what we follow after, right? Righteousness, a godly life, perseverance, gentleness, and love. I believe Paul mentions those again because of the conflict that you and I are going to face from culture when we pursue the truth and the righteousness of Jesus. Now, hear my heart on this. I'm not trying to create an us versus them mentality with the people in your life, the people in my life, the people in our community or the world. It's not that. It's just this, that when we follow after and pursue Jesus, his righteousness and his kingdom, we're going to get pushback. When we're pursuing a life that honors God, there are going to be people in your life who just don't like that. Who are going to think you're trying to show them up, even though you may approach it humbly and gently. There are going to be people who attack you and come against you, just like there's people that attack and come against me. For some reason, people are offended by the fact that when we pursue faith in Jesus, even though we may not be imposing, them on, imposing that, that heart and that belief on them, it's going to cause conflict. 
That's why Paul includes faith and perseverance in that list. We have to have faith and confidence embedded in the truth that we know. And when we're faced with opposition, we're commanded to handle it with love and gentleness. Jesus faced opposition all the time. Take, take a run from sometime through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and see the life of Jesus. He constantly faced opposition. And I know we look back from all this distance and, and we think, oh, but Jesus was, was a man of love and grace. Yeah, he was. But he was also someone who spoke truth that, that cut right to the heart of where people were. He was the one who looked with compassion on people but said, go and sin no more. He called them to something more. He called them to something greater. And he faced opposition all the time from the religious leaders, but from the general public as well. And, and we know that ultimately that opposition is what drove him to the cross. But he still operated in gentleness and peace, pursuing a life that honors God, pursuing faith, pursuing love, pursuing perseverance, perseverance and gentleness refocuses my attention on the Father instead of all that's going on around me. And that leads us to this last one. Rely on God's strength to fight in faith. Now, these may seem opposite. Think, wait, we just talked about gentleness and we talked about grace and we talked about love, talked about peace. And now we're talking about fighting. Well, look at verse 12 in 1 Timothy 6. It says, fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. What do you think of when you hear the phrase, fight the good fight? I think for a lot of us, when we hear the word fight, we may go to sports like boxing matches or MMA pay-per-view fights. Maybe when you hear fight, your thoughts immediately go to arguments at home or maybe aggressive behavior. See, we tend to think of fighting as conflict that's erupting and someone is going to win and someone is going to lose. And the truth is all of us have been in some type of fight. I got into a few fights when I was a kid, not too many though. Mostly the neighborhood kind of challenge fight, you know. And I actually remember my first fight. I don't remember how old I was, but I was probably late elementary school kind of a thing. And down on the corner where I grew up was a church of all things, a church on the corner. And we used to play football on the front lawn of that church. And I remember the one day we were playing and something didn't go right. Don't even know what it is. But me and this kid, we started arguing and we started yelling. Pretty soon, you know how it escalates, we were shoving each other. And then, man, we were going at it. Now, we weren't wise enough or strong enough or, or experienced enough uh, to, to go at it with the fist. But man, we were, it was pretty much just a wrestling match. And for my own ego, I need to say publicly, I won. You just need to know that. And the truth is, is that we even remained friends. But she never gave me much trouble after that. We kind of established some things right there. But Paul's communicating something different here. It's not intimidation, it's not aggression, and it's not physical. It's not about being aggressive with online comments. It's not about taking someone down verbally at work. It's not belittling someone who has a different view from you so that you can beat them with your Bible. 
Paul's talking about something spiritual. You see, back when Paul wrote this letter to the church of Ephesus, the church with which Timothy is now the pastor, he instructed them to put on some armor, spiritual armor, the armor of Jesus Christ, his strength, his love, his gentleness, his peace appropriated for our lives. It's protection from the plans and the schemes and the strategy of the enemy. So I want to read this to you in Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10. And we're going to close with this. Paul says a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Did you catch that? It's not your own strength. It's not what you can muster up. It's be strong in him and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Now listen to this. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Let me pause there. You know who the enemy is? It's not your boss. It's not your spouse. It's not that neighbor. It's not political figures that drive you crazy. It's not... (laughs) It's not all the people that we can eye and say, oh, that people, I know people can drive us crazy, me too. But Paul tells us that's not where the battle is. It's spiritual. So then he says this, therefore put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. So stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the evil one. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. See, it's not the people in your life that are out to cause division and confusion. It's the enemy He's the one sowing division, sowing discord, sowing confusion, sowing distractions and devastation. And Paul gives us the encouragement and the challenge for how to be ready for that. So when Paul tells Timothy, you know, back in 1 Timothy 6, we've been reading verse 12, to hold tightly to eternal life. He's really using different words to say, put on the armor of God. Hold tightly to the things that are true and right. Paul says, hold the line. Put on your spiritual armor and stand fast, stand firm, stay vigilant and alert and refocus your hearts and minds. That's where we go. We look at God's character and his truth and his desires for us. So here's the last thing. What would it look like for you in this crazy season to quiet the voices that are tempting you and distracting you to refocus on God's truth and to fight the good fight of faith. That's his invitation to you right now, to join him and to follow. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you invite us, to invite us to to join you, to come together with you, to experience your truth, to experience your, your character, to experience your life, and your hope. And Lord, we're living in a time when everything's just swirling around us and it's so easy to get distracted and, and focus on, you know, that, that it's all about us or what we're experiencing and we miss out on you and your kingdom.
It's so easy to look at the people in our lives and think that they're the enemy and they're, they're what's wrong. But the truth is, is that there's a spiritual battle that's going on and you want us to refocus on you, your strength and your might. So Father, I pray for each person who's listening, each person who's watching, that we would put our gaze and our focus and our minds and our hearts back on you. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as uh, you head off into this weekend and into this week, and, and you're going you're gonna to face some of those challenges. I'm reminded of, of a song. And I'm not bringing out any musicians or anything right now, but it's this simple song, and you know it. It says, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. I wonder if that could be your prayer this week. It's mine. I've made a decision to follow him and trust him. And I don't want anything to get in the way of following and trusting him. I'm praying for you this week. So be blessed and be a blessing.